Hello and welcome to Performer on Record, episode one uh, in our new monthly podcast series uh, presented by us here at Performer Magazine. My name is Ben. I'm the editor-in-chief of the magazine. And if you're not familiar with us, uh, Performer is a musician's trade magazine. We've been around for about 30 years in print and online, and we focus on the independent music community, um, artists, interviews, business columns, tips and tricks for recording your own music, and all of those sorts of things. So if you're not familiar with us, uh, welcome. Glad to have you on board. Um, you can check out the magazine in print or online at performermag.com. This is episode one, so we'll be uh, doing a little trial and error, uh, getting our feet wet, so to speak, and seeing how this format works for us. Um, what we have on tap for this episode is an interview with the good folks at Harmon on the basics of setting up a home studio and getting started for the first time if you've never recorded at home before and you find yourself at home now. If you are feeling creative these days, uh, we know a lot of artists who are feeling inspired um, to do things online and on their social media accounts and live streaming on Facebook and Instagram and doing more YouTube content. And there's a lot of artists who just simply aren't feeling that spark right now. And I think that's okay too. But for those who are, um, we spoke to the folks behind a lot of the products that would make that a lot easier. Harmon makes um, JBL, uh, AKG, Lexicon, all sorts of great products. We have a Soundcraft mixer uh, that we're using in our studio uh, right now. Um, and then we have a great interview with a guitarist uh, named Version 8, who we actually featured on our social media accounts um, last month as our Artist of the Month presented by Elixir Strings, um, which is a great segue to say that Elixir is our premier podcast sponsor, and we thank them very much for their generosity in making this show happen. Um, we only use Elixir Strings here at Performer, to be honest, because their protective coating keeps our guitar strings and bass strings full of life better than any other brand we've ever tried. And when we're reviewing stomp boxes and amps and recording gear and interfaces every month for the magazine, we don't want anything distracting us from that job, um, like the hassle and expense of you know constantly swapping out your strings. And we know you don't want anything getting in the way of making your music either. So say goodbye to corrosion and dirt and sweat and oil buildup and use Elixir strings. Really, their proprietary featherweight coating acts as a barrier against all that tone-killing buildup and crud on your strings. And it really just allows you to get lost in the music. Um, we love them. And for more info, we recommend you head to elixirstrings.com and, and check out our YouTube channel too for demos and uh, some playthroughs from real world artists like you um, who we feature every month as part of our Artists of the Month program. We send them a whole bunch of uh, new Elixir Strings to try out. They do some demos and playthroughs on our channel and, and give kind of their candid feedback on, on how they're liking the strings and how they're holding up over time. So do check that out. Um, first up, like I mentioned, we have an interview with uh, Harmon. We've also got a full article up on performermag.com and in the upcoming print issue um, that goes over some of these basics as well. So like I said, if you are feeling inspired uh, during these, let's call them uncertain and crazy times, I know that sounds cliched and you've probably seen a variety of cringe-inducing uh, TV commercials from big corporate brands, you know, saying those words. And, and they, they do ring hollow. I, I get that. But at the same time, you know, we deal in the arts and struggle and conflict and uncertainty can bring out 
um, the artistic uh, spark in a lot of people. And, and if that's you, great. Um, hopefully these tips come in handy. And if it's not, like I said earlier, that's totally fine too. I, I get it. <laughs> I'm not feeling particularly creative myself these days either. So I, I totally understand. Um, but we'll, we'll go ahead and kick it over to the interview and I'll be back to um, segue into the next segment when we talk to guitarist version eight afterwards. So sit back and enjoy and I'll uh, talk to you in a few. We so hopefully I don't embarrass you too much. No, we're here with uh, <laughs> David from our friends at Harmon, uh, who, boy, have brands that make just about everything for the home studio, I think. Uh, and what we're going to talk about today, since a lot of artists, uh, unfortunately, are, are stuck at home, is kind of how to stay creative uh, when the world is on hold. Um, and part of that, for a lot of artists, um, they've been writing into us trying to get tips on creating even a, a really simple home studio. So sure. um, that's what we're talking about today. And David, if you want to start, maybe we can just go over some of the real basic building blocks of what that might look like for someone who perhaps hasn't uh, got a home studio set up right now. And maybe just to look into demo some tracks. What, what were the things that they would need to get started with? Um, well, I'm, I'm actually talking to you right now on our uh, podcast essentials kit. Uh, this is the Lyra um, desk mic. And then these are the K371 wired uh, headphones. And I'm wired straight into straight into that. And it, this is a USB mic that goes right into the computer. Um, and this is a high def mic. It'll do 192K by uh, a 24 bit. So, um, and then there's different settings. There are four capsules in this mic. So right now I have it set on just front, but there are three other settings. There is a tight stereo. So if two people are sitting like this, um, there's a wide stereo that would cover all the way around. And then there's a front and back. So if you're sitting across the table from somebody doing a podcast or an interview or singing a song like a duet, uh, you could do it with, with this one mic, headphones. Um, it actually, the box in the box, the essentials kit, there's a uh, headphone splitter. So two people can connect to it. It's pretty cool. Very cool. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm talking to you on it now. And then you can actually... So I can hit that mute button and it mutes and that wasn't have... a glitch in the audio. For no, exactly. I just <laughs> muted. I'll do it again. Watch. I feel like I'm in a bad, uh, bad like, McDonald's drive. Or something. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the nice things about the Lyra is actually, um, like you had mentioned, it's a USB mic. So if you're looking to set up a home studio for the first time, um, USB mics are a really great option because it it, yeah. it affords you you know the the high res recording without the need for an interface. Right. But if you did want to go the interface route, um, maybe you could give some tips on someone kind of looking at that sort of option. This and what have we got for the for the people <laughs> listening there? Looky what I have. This is the Soundcraft. This is the Notepad series. This is the uh, the um, the Notepad 8FX. There's a five and there's a 12. And you can see I'm USB'd onto it, um, to my other laptop. Um, mm -hmm. These are, uh, these are uh, for Apple, actually for the Lyra and for this, uh, the notepads, they're plug and play with, with Mac. And then there's on our website, there's quick drivers to download if you're doing it on a PC. 
Um, and then also there's firmware updates that we bring out because we are able to add, um, because of the chipsets we put in and we're able to add features as we go along as um, one of the cool things is we listen to our users and they'll say, it would be really neat if you could have this function. And because of how we build these things, we are able to actually, in most cases, do a firmware update and add some features that weren't normally there. So um, it's it's really neat. Um, and the cool thing about all this stuff is it's super user friendly. Um, my, co my co singer, um, Karen, um, I have a five piece band. And I, I recently got her a Note 5 because she wants, she's a piano teacher and a, a vocal teacher. And she wanted to be able to continue to meet with her students, but she had no way of doing it. So I got her the Notepad uh, 5. And now I did it with her over the phone. We did some uh, FaceTiming and um, I got her up and running on her Mac. And within an hour, she posted her first video to uh, Instagram just blown away at how easy it was to do it so um cool. it's super friendly um easy friend easier easy user friendly that's it <laughs> sometimes like the sometimes the blonde overtakes the wisdom highlights and i get <laughs> <laughs> i like too i actually have uh one of the soundcraft signature multi-track units and what's cool about that is you can take every individual channel just like a, a normal yep. mixing board and run that into your DAW and run it out of your DAW. Um, yes. So if you're looking for kind of like an analog front end, right. that would be a really neat option for people at home. Um, because if you've ever worked with a mixing board before, you know how to use this. And it's got uh, an interface, multi-track interface built in. So you can send right. it in and out of. I really like that. And I think for a lot of people, um, especially if you've got a lot of synths to run through it or drum machines right. or, you know, a lot of external gear, that's, exactly. that's a really great option. You and, and then I, if, yeah, you, it, in, in my studio, I have an expression one, mm -hmm. uh, Soundcraft expression one. And, um, I have, um, actually I have two different cards. I have the multi-digital card that yep. does a firewire right out to my, my older Mac. Yeah. <laughs> I like the older Macs cause I can still, put a hard drive in it and I can yes. upgrade the RAM. <laughs> but, um, and then when I perform, I use the same expression and I have a stage box. So I have the Maddie USB card in it. So I'm able to actually use Ableton just like a church house of worship does. Yeah. I can use Ableton to do my tracks. And then I've got two guitar players. One switches off to play bass occasionally. Um, and then my co-singer, we both sing and uh, she plays acoustic guitar and piano. I play keys, and then we have a drummer. So, um, but we all have in-ear monitors and we click track. So having that USB function right into the yeah. expression. And then when I need to record, um, I don't know if I steered you to my, my YouTube page or my Facebook page, but I've just been keeping my chops up um, by singing and just doing some videos with QuickTime. So I'm in my little studio with my expression connected to my Mac. I turn QuickTime on, hit record, and all my digital audio is going right, you know, through the FireWire into my Mac. And I'm recording videos just like what we're doing here Very and cool. posting them. And so it's making me, it's it's my therapy, and it's making other people happy. So it's kind of nice. Well, I think that's that's the key. Um, you know, the world is at a unusual challenging place right now so right. if people are finding the inspiration we say 
that's great. If people look, if you if you don't have the inspiration right now, I think that's fine too. But for those looking to do some recording or stay creative right now, um, you know, these are really great things to know. You and I had emailed back and forth before the call, yeah. uh, and I had sent some questions about cable management and things like that. And one of the things that you had sent back was not to use wireless while recording. I was wondering if yeah. you could touch upon that. Well. There's this nasty little thing called the noise floor, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if you read any of the specs on wireless microphones, it always says, keep your wireless mic above three feet above ground. <laughs> um, uh, that's primarily you're, you're susceptible to, if you've got a digital wireless mic, you're susceptible to dropouts. Okay. And all of a sudden you have a really good recording going, you've got a really good take and the mic drops. Um, um, or if you have an analog wireless system, uh, you may get a <laughs> something might break the squelch and and stomp on your channel. Um, you know, in the old days, it was the the CB radios where some truck drivers got some linear amp going on, and he's so powerful that when he goes by your house and clicks in, can you tell him a redneck? I'm from that area. <laughs> <laughs> they would stomp on you, and I've I've actually had that happen at gigs when I was performing. I, I was a full time musician on the road for over over 20 years <laughs> but you know i'm just playing in bars clubs uh casinos that kind of thing all through the midwest and yeah. um but uh yeah there's you're susceptible to that um so it's always good to to keep that hardwired connection it just uh you it, it makes everything better your signal flows better um unless you have a bad cable but you know you'll know it right away I think the moral here is if you unfortunately are sidelined from touring and, and live gigs right now, might not be the best idea to to bring your live wireless rig into the studio uh, and use that as, as a home recording option. But try to stick to wired mics if you can, USB mics if you yep. can. Something where but you're not going to get not those. Not to say that out. I haven't done it. And that's one of the things I think I was also posting, uh, you know, when you and I were communicating back and forth was, you know, especially about... Uh, mic techniques mm. just do it if yeah. you think it'd be cool do it set the mic up in a certain way you know traditional miking yeah try it but try something different um and i i went was fortunate to go to an event in um at the uh the studio up uh oh what's the studio um it's the uh star wars studio oh skywalker i went to skywalker ranch and I was able to see this whole mic event happen. Um, and at the time, I was I was um, not working for Harmon, but uh, the gentleman who was going through it was showing different mic techniques, and he was like, you know, there are no rules. <laughs> Set it up, record it, listen to it. If it sounds cool, that's great. If it doesn't, maybe do something else and, and uh, put the two together, see how it sounds, right? Yeah. So, you know... I, I say stray from the, the norm and create something really cool. I mean, look at some of the artists we have out today that are doing things different, um, that are actually winning Grammys from recording at home. I mean, yeah. it's just amazing, uh, the and, stuff uh, they're... <laughs> and, I, and I think with mic placement, too, you, you were talking about experiment, but what, what I think people should know is even small movements... Can, yep. can yield really big changes. And if anybody who's ever mic'd up a guitar cabinet knows mm -hmm. if you place a mic in front of the cone and move it yep. 
three millimeters. Yep, you know, it'll to change the, the whole tone. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's really going to change the way that that, uh, that guitar sound interacts with a microphone. So yep. if you're starting for the first time, you don't have to make these big changes by moving the mic like three feet from where it was. Try right. small increments first. Because right. you might be surprised at how big of a difference just that little movement uh, yeah. off axis might make to a vocal or a guitar or whatever it might be. Another thing, too, is be cognizant of the pickup pattern on your mic, right? Yes. So, Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So timers. here's the best way to describe it. You're micing a drum set, right? And you're, you're clipping a microphone. Um, in this case, it'd be one of our gooseneck uh, tom mics, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the natural rejection is on right on the back of that. So where do I want to place it? Do I want to place it, if I've got my ride cymbal here and my tom here, do I want to place that mic over here? No, because I'm going to pick up that, that cymbal, right? So if I want to just hear the tom, I'm going to maybe place it more underneath that ride cymbal so I get natural cancellation from, that, from, the, from the pickup pattern of the mic. It's going to reject anything behind that mic. So now when my overheads are playing you know picking up that I'm, I'm able to get more isolation right yeah so be cognizant of your pick pickup patterns and that will help you in your placement because especially you know in, in in my line of work we're playing these smaller wine bars and clubs that we're on top of each other right, right. so i love to use my my c7 uh, akg uh, condenser mic right i love it but when i'm standing three feet to the right of my drummer who's playing acoustic set, yeah. not real good. I can't, especially when I have in-ears, he kills me. <laughs> so I switched to a D7. I got a lot more isolation. Yes. Um, it's not the mic I love, but, uh, but I do love the D7, but um, you know, I love how the C7, the condenser, cause I'm a tenor. So I like having that sharp, you know, that crispness. Um, but uh yeah, it does a lot better for me being able to isolate more of what I need to hear in my ears. So Yeah, and there are different mics that will work better with different patterns. Like if you want to pick up the room ambiance, that's great. If you want to reject things that are off axis, you know, know what type of mic you want for your application exactly. before you start recording. And that way you can choose things right. that make sense for your setup. Yeah, you, um, you don't want an Omni. We'll <laughs> <laughs> pick up everything. Exactly. Uh, you might want it for room ambience. Who knows? You can mix that into the track. Some people, some people find really good applications for it. But yeah, typically you want something that's going to pick up what's in front of it or to the side of it or however you're going to have it positioned. Know what that pattern is yeah. um, and, and plan accordingly. So you're not like picking up room sounds that are behind you that you don't want you know, sneaking into your mix. Yeah. And one of the other things I can tell you, especially if you're working from home, um, make the room comfortable. And that's, that's one of the, one of the first things I learned when I was in school in Nashville, um, visiting a lot of these studios, um, on music row. Uh, the first thing somebody ever said was when you first walk into a studio, if you're not comfortable, don't record there because yeah. you won't get good. You will not get good product. So the first thing, first line, of, so if you've got a bedroom, you're trying to convert, make it your own, make it comfortable, warm it up, put the stuff in there that you want to look around and it makes you just totally in your element. Um, yeah. You know, and then also look at, you know, uh, uh, listen to that room, 
you know, is it is it lively? If it, if it yeah. is too lively, you might want to look at, you know, in my day, we did egg cartons on the wall. <laughs> We'd take old paper egg cartons and put them on the wall to try and deaden the room. And it, it actually worked. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, we, we have come a long way. We do have we some different isolation uh, <laughs> solutions out there that, that can help make even really uh, lively rooms. See, uh, I was recycling when it wasn't cool. Yeah, there you go. You, you were green before green was a thing. Exactly. Now, one of the last things that you and I kind of chatted about over email uh, was when you're recording at home, should you be monitoring your mix through speakers, through dedicated studio monitors or headphones or both? Or What would you recommend for someone kind of putting this together for the first time? Well, for me, when I'm singing and performing, right, playing my instrument or singing, I'm monitoring on my in-ear monitors or a good set of um, of, of studio monitors. Um, the K371s are really good. They've got the AKG curve built into it. Um, uh, but we do actually have real studio monitors that are like reference monitors. They're really flat. Okay. We're not adding any color to it so that you could potentially – uh, be able to uh, record yourself, you know, with them on, and then you're able to actually sit down and listen to the mix where you can have it really close and intimate and you can hear the different nuances in your instrument or voice and pick out, you know, things that you might not like or like and maybe do differently. And then a, a good set of studio monitors. Um, and we've got like three different um, from an entry level to like real high end um uh, studio monitors uh, from near field to to uh, our M2s, which are yeah, um, really large um, full, full studio room mic uh, uh, room speakers. Now um, for those for those who are just kind of starting out with with a home studio build, a lot of people are asking kind of what's the difference between just my computer speakers or my normal stereo speakers and a set of studio monitors. What what makes a studio monitor, a studio monitor, and not just a hi-fi speaker. So a studio monitor is basically been designed to be flat, it, to be completely flat so that anything you add to it or take away from it, you can hear it, right? So you want to make sure that everything is, is I, always, I always tell everybody, picture a straight line. You know, you want to make sure that your system um, when you throw paint noise through it, it's nice, nice, even flat line in, uh, in that room. So having a studio monitor that's been designed to be flat in an anechoic chamber, I mean, Harmon, we've got four anechoic yeah. chambers. So speakers go in there, we test them um, uh, at infinitum. So I mean, we test the, the, the drivers, then we test the drivers with the cabinets. We do all kinds of things. So we're able to dial out um, especially with our powered monitors, we're able to dial out any of the nuances and put in uh, filtering and um, uh, limiting to be able to make sure that that speaker, when it leaves us, it's flat. Yeah. So then when you get it to your room, you actually put a reference, reference mics in different positions in the room and listen to paint noise um, and tune that tune those monitors to that room and dial out any nuances that the room is creating because it may be heavy in 500 hertz who knows and you might want to dial that out 
So that way, when you're listening to those monitors and trying to create a really good product, you're absolutely know the speakers are flat, my room is flat, and so any bass or any treble or any mids that I add or take away from that, I know I'm getting reality. That was David Tewksbury, uh, product and application uh, support specialist at Harman. Uh, thank you, David, again for your time hopping on the phone with us and giving us some pointers on setting up a home studio for the first time. Up next is version 8, uh, an amazing guitar player uh, from Minnesota who we featured as our Elixir Strings Artist of the Month previously. Um, had a chance to sit down with him over Skype and chat about what he's up to these days. Um, so without further ado, let's kick it over and talk to version 8. some kid playing uh, acoustic guitar for girls at a campfire and I was like I want to do that that'll do it <laughs> well, I begged my parents to give me a guitar uh, they made me wait till Christmas and I'll be honest for like the first two years that I had a guitar I barely touched it because I couldn't get my fingers my fingers uh, built up enough to push down the strings so I kind of shied away from it for a little while and just went with Guitar Hero uh, and then I met this kid uh, in high school that could do like all the crazy like Avenged Sevenfold sweet picking yeah. and all that stuff. So I spent like six months um, learning how to do all that stuff uh, so I could keep up with this kid. And from there, um, it all just kind of exploded. I mean, we started, I started writing music with a program called Guitar Pro back when I was like 16 or 17. Um, and uh, from that point, like I would just write songs for like metal stuff and like being in a band and when that band broke up I ended up joining like a, a bigger band um, and at that stage in music where at least where I was at I mean the cool thing to have was to be able to get your music recorded and we didn't have that or any of that so I joined this band and we we're supposed to record this album and I wrote them like a whole album we ended up only recording one song um, which sucked for me so I decided at that point screw being in a band screw uh working with anybody else, I'm going to do this myself because I got sick of having to go through other people for recording and money and all that stuff. So I sold my giant half stack amp and got like a production setup. And I've been flying solo for the last nine years. Wow. I say. Very cool. Yeah, since then, there hasn't really been any bands or anything. So it's just been me. So you've released everything under the version 8 name. Yeah, so it's all handled. I use DistroKid. It's a really common distributor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I release everything through there. So I do have a question um, on your playing style because we had sent you off um, some of the new Elixir OptiWeb extended range uh, strings, and we're seeing a lot more 7 and 8 string players, not just in the metal genre, but in a lot of different genres, um, doing some really interesting tapping things. Um why do you think, as someone who plays a, a seven string or an eight string, uh, why do you think those extended range guitars are becoming so much more popular now than even, say, two years ago? Uh, if I had to take a wild guess, I would say boredom. Um, <laughs> okay. I'll be honest, like for me personally, people ask me this question all the time. Um, what um, Either asking about if they should pick up an eight string or a seven string or whatever. 
Um, and for me personally, um, at first, like when I was like 18, uh, that was in like after the burial and bands on Sumerian were getting really big with eight string guitars. Yeah. Um, so we, I got a seven just cause I wanted to play really low so you can hit that low note and go bear, 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 bear. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I think honestly, like at this point it's just boredom and there's so many, so many six string players out there now that like, I mean, we've, we've heard it all really at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, unless you're Tosin Abbasi, you're not inventing new guitar techniques um, left and right, which even he didn't really invent something. It's like a classically trained guitar technique. But I say boredom because for me personally, um, I played sevens for like seven or eight years almost exclusively before switching to eight string guitars. Yeah. Um, and it, literally because I was bored, I got to a point where I knew the seven string guitar enough that uh, I needed a bigger fretboard. And being a piano player, uh, the eight string is kind of a dream come true guitar-wise for me because it's almost like having, you can see this thing, it's ridiculous. It's like having a piano on your fretboard. Um, and I can just kind of go all over the place. But I think a lot of it has to do with boredom on a six string guitar. Um, you can only do so much, whereas like with an eight string, even if you're playing like blues or whatever it may be, even if it's a more simple style of music, you essentially have a bass and the guitar at the same time so you can be like a one-man band with one instrument on an a string so when you when you compose do you consciously try to write things that you can perform that have a bass and melody separate from each other because you have the extended strings or it does not not really kind of come into play in the songwriting phase so in metal um i mean the vast majority of what we're doing is like and granted there's plenty of different styles but in the style at least that I'm in with like gent and progressive metal and that kind of stuff most of the time we're just like writing like a chug part like some downy thing and then we just do stuff over it anyway so it's kind of the same concept Um, and in metal I mean it's all just about that super low bottom (laughs) string Um, so it's kind of with an 8 string especially I do tend to separate them where I'll have a lot of lower parts and then I'll just do like lead stuff Whereas with less range, like on a seven string, um, I'm more active over the entire fretboard. Um, and I'm getting there with eight string too. It's just a lot of girth to cover. Um, but uh, yeah, it really depends on the song. I mean, I have some songs on eight string that are all, I mean, you won't hear a single chug the entire time. It's all clean. I'll do like tapping or like the thump thing. Uh, from animals as leaders i mean it really depends on the song do you find it difficult to mix at all um is there is there anything that you have to do recording wise because you are dealing with a lot lower uh register on especially that eighth string getting it kind of crisp and clear in the track um way back when yes like before processors like axe effects are now with uh i don't know if you're aware of the neural dsp yeah yeah those plugins, like literally, I just like their presets are so good. I just plug in and don't hardly have to do anything. I mean, with the Fishman pickups that are super active and super hot, um, I do have to make a, a few adjustments adjustments for noise. But with those tone processors, I barely even have to think about it. I mean, the same thing with the seven string. Um, I was actually just having a conversation with my friend a couple of days ago where he was trying to convince me that six string guitars will always the chugs will always sound better on six string guitars because they're like super crisp and clean or whatever and then i went home and plugged into my archetype and like playing perfect clarity with an eight string 
Um, so a lot of it is tone, I, and the tone all, all comes from the plugins now. I mean, there's really not much that I have to do to it. So it's actually pretty simple. So the technology is there. If people want to get into it, they don't have to worry too much. The technology is there to do it. It's not even expensive. That's the crazy thing to me is, you know, I, I get all these kids that are like, dude, how do you get your tone? Like, your stuff's so crazy, whatever. It's like, man, I spent 150 bucks on this plugin, and that's all I had to do. I mean, granted, I already had all my production software, like Logic and whatever. But as far as just playing, like, with a good amp, yeah. 150 bucks. Yeah. Well, that's why people, I mean, I still see people online who are like, wow, how do I get that? like angus young crunch tone and it's like he just plugged an sg into a marshall and turned it up really really loud that's it that's <laughs> that's the sound if you want it it's there for you in music <laughs> so yeah um i i do have a question because i've also seen a new trend uh especially again in extended uh range guitars um from makers like ormsby and i and i think kiesel might even be doing the fanned fret um layout on the fretboard is that something that you've explored at all or is yeah. it something that you'd be into um for those yeah. of us on the podcast um he's actually i think going to grab something we're on a video chat uh so i think he's going to grab something to show me okay cool okay. what is this right here uh so the guitar that i used in the elixir videos yes in a lot of my uh, this is actually fan fret it's a little harder to see because of the neck the, the wood they used, it makes it look like a katana, uh, and, and it gets a little, it throws out the fan fret, because something like, I have another one that's really, really obvious that yeah. it's fan, like, it's like a fucking banana, man, and this thing is like, it's more understated, but, uh, so explain, yeah. explain A, why this sort of layout exists on the fretboard, and then B, what it helps you accomplish especially maybe in the lower range like wh why would you do a fan fret as opposed to a normal straight fret type of system so for me personally it's just it's like the ergonomic like the ergonomic setup or whatever of like the fan fret is that it's easier the movement is more fluid and easier especially like doing runs and stuff like that where um it's just more ergonomic for your hand um which is why I do it. I mean, my other one, like I said, is way more pronounced in terms of this, the multi-scale where it's really fanned and this one's a little less so. Um, but the other reason is, is when the, when it's a multi-scale like this, um, the string tension on the bottom is better. So the sustain is significantly longer. Okay. Um, I was already so used to it by the time I had this guitar that I didn't really, it doesn't really phase me anymore. But when I first got the, uh, the other one that's super crazy, um, I could tell where I would just barely hit the note and it would sustain for like eternity um, on a low E, which is wasn't the same for like, I even had a like a $400 factor seven string for guitar center and it wasn't even close. I mean, that's another reason. So essentially for those who maybe haven't played uh, a fretboard like this before, each string almost has its own different scale length. Whereas normally like on a Fender, you'd have a 25 and a half inch scale for every string, the whole the whole run from bridge to nut. But here, you're looking at a much longer scale length for, say, the low eighth string and a more normal scale length for, like, the top E. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And the, the, 
crazy thing is, is like on this one, like I like I said, I barely even notice it. Like I can play everything just fine, whereas on my other one, this has probably shifted like at least another ten or twenty percent, and it's almost impossible to play on the lower notes. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Ben again cutting in here. Um, I think this would be a really great point to give some context for what uh, version 8 and I are talking about here. Um, so I'm going to drop in some audio where you can actually listen to him playing in one of his videos um, that he did for us uh, special as part of his Elixir Strings Artist of the Month uh, promo. This song is a great demonstration of those lower extended ranges. So I'm going to stop talking and kind of let you hear this guitar in context. Uh, and then I'll be back to wrap up the show. YouTube channel. Uh, there's two different videos up there from version 8 uh, where he's demonstrating the elixir strings um, and again like we had mentioned he's using 7 and 8 string uh, versions of the OptiWeb coded strings uh, for those videos and we've got plenty more videos uh, showing off the full range of um, elixir electric and acoustic strings. Um, so this is probably a good place for us to uh, stop this episode. Um, hopefully you found some of this information uh, enjoyable, uh, entertaining, perhaps informative. Um, like I said, if you're looking to set up a home studio for the first time, if you are feeling creative and, and getting uh, things in order, uh, we want to thank David Tewksbury again from Harmon for helping us out with uh, some of that information. And uh, if you're looking for a new guitar string, we'd like to thank Version 8 for uh, showing off why the elixirs work so well for him uh, and for others. Um, but that'll do it for us. Um, if you have a chance, please do check out performermag.com for more information about the magazine and some of the topics that we cover. You can also get to our social media pages from there. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, of course. One final thank you to our premier sponsor, uh, Elixir Strings. Uh, and thank you to everybody for listening to episode one, warts and all. I uh, do realize there have been a lot of plosives in this episode. Uh, like many people who are so fortunate enough to be employed right now i too am working from home and uh working on setting up my own home studio uh so we'll work on it we'll get it better sounding great i promise stick with us uh stay well and thanks for listening catch you next time bye